Hello and welcome. My name is Jolene. And I'm Emma. Two costume designers who shared love of horror and fashion history have brought us together to deep dive the horror genre, going behind the scenes to uncover, understand, and analyze iconic horror characters and their costumes that are simply to die for. Welcome to episode two of our Scream Legacy double episode extravaganza. Today, we'll be chatting all things Scream 3, Scream 4, and at the end, a spoiler-free touch, just a touch, on Scream 5. But don't worry, we won't say anything major. Uh, At large, we'll be analyzing our legacy characters and discussing how the franchise's design evolved over time and adapted to each decade's culture. Don't forget to check out part one of our Scream Legacy series out now, where we chat all about the history of the ghost face mask, Scream 1996, and Scream 2, laying out the foundation for the years to come. This time around, we are joined by a very special guest, Scream fanatic, writer, toy designer, and the genius behind the Final Girl Meets Barbie Dreamhouse horror merch mainstay, Scream Queen Shop. It's Bradley Ryan. Yay. Welcome to the Bradley. We are Welcome. so excited. Hello. Me. Thank you guys so much for having me. I am so excited. We, I was just like thrilled when you reached out about being on the pod and we were just like, yes, this is the person to be on the podcast. They love Scream. <laughs> they love fashion. They love Final Girls. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you find your love for horror and design and the whole lot? Yeah. Um, God, horror started at a very young age. Um, I had a, a mom who was pretty loose with the film immoral as far as uh, my age <laughs> and what I watched. Um, the first movie I remember watching is like Child's Play 2, um, which is amazing. fully, I fully believe that is what set my love of like dolls and doll design. Um, but the first like movie I remember actively wanting to go see in theaters is Scream. Um, I saw it way too young. I was in the fourth grade and I somehow conned my older god sister, god sister, cousin, uh, an older teenager to take me. Um, I fully lied. It was like, no, my mom said it's fine. Um, she was babysitting. <laughs> she had a car. And then uh, I don't know if she ended up calling my mom and asking or if we just decided to go on a whim because she knew I had, I had seen scary movies. So it wasn't like a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and she took me to see Scream. Uh, we got there late and I actually had missed the entire opening with Casey Becker, which <laughs> oh, um, that will come back later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and that set me off. I mean, Scream, Scream is my like ultimate favorite franchise. Um, but I also, it started like, I love late nineties horror. I, mm-hmm. I know they're all basically like the same four movies mashed together in different ways with like a random, like spontaneous theme. Um, but like urban legend and uh, Valentine. And um, I just, I just love them all. Like, I think they're great. Uh, I'm still waiting for, and I know what you did last summer sequel reboot situation. That's not that Amazon series. Um, <laughs> well, Freddie Prince tweeted that he's ready to do another horror movie. So maybe we bring him back. It. You guys let's, ready for let's, him. let's get a legacy sequel <laughs> up. All right. I love FPJ. <laughs> Um, and then as far as design goes, like I said, with, with Chucky, I've always loved toys. Like I've, I've been a a huge fan of toys and it never stopped. And then, uh, at a young age, I found so weird, a little mermaid doll from the movie, like in a random park. And I fell in love with it. Um, I've always loved, I love hair and I love like playing with hair. I've been a stylist. I love fashion. I make clothes. So dolls just kind of were it. And so I, I started off designing clothes and making things, but I was also a writer. So I would like write characters and then immediately design like a doll wardrobe for them. Uh, And then it just kind of, it just got together and I was like, Oh, you know what? I think I should just do this and and design toys, like design fashion dolls, design those things. And um, that's kind of where I got to uh, 
the Spring Queen shop is uh, during the pandemic when we were all just like trying to stay sane. Um, I had just like randomly designed a set of like vintage Barbies, but I was like, oh, but I'll make them like Scream Queens. Uh, and it'd be like a fun little line because they have all these like retro action figures and retro this and retro that. But you never really see like Laurie Strode or Alice from Friday the 13th or Sydney Prescott. Um, it's always like these big hulking, you know, murderers. I'm like, shouldn't we? Like, mm-hmm. celebrate the survivor, I guess. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so I drew them, and um, I got a bunch of people asking me if they were going to be on, like, T-shirts or if, what I was going to do with it. And so I set up my shop, and um, I just kind of got obsessed with the idea of, like, a cute and fun fashion doll-inspired horror movie merch. And the rest is history. I just, you know, I find a new final girl, and I'll make new designs. And uh, I've got the base dolls to make a Lori and Michael actual physical like early 90s fashion doll i just haven't sat down and sewing on that scale is so hard you guys yes it's so it is. Oh my um, <laughs> tiny, tiny little seams yeah it's like uh, i can't so i have to let i'm like still psyching myself up to to make um the actual dolls uh but yeah and i just like i once i started screen queen shop i was featured on like fangoria's like makers and um it just got me catapulted back into the horror community in in a really fun exciting way i think it's changed so much in just the past 10 years um just as a a gay man and and being in the the queer culture it feels more open to that or at least there's more there's more people who are accepting of it it's not like these aggro toxic straight guys like it is a whole variety there's like female creators and people are you know standing up and speaking out and um to me, it's more comfortable now. And it's like, I don't feel like I'm going to get blasted for saying, oh, I would love a, a gay male lead in a movie mm-hmm. um, who fights to save his boyfriend. And it's like, no, people want that. And people aren't afraid to ask for that. And so it's been um, it's been a journey. And uh, now it's, you know, just living my dreams, watching Scream 5 back in theaters. Just like so excited. Scream is back on it. Slashers are back in it. Like it is time, guys. We're in we're in a renaissance. Yes. Yeah, nice. uh, that's awesome. Well, congratulations. And the fact that you did all of this through a pandemic, I think, is a testament to your ingenuity. And I love that you focus on Final Girls because I love Final Girls. Like, I like yes. I, I talk about this all the time that obviously I don't want to see my friends die and be brutally murdered. But the idea <laughs> of a Final Girl is so cathartic for so many women and, and non-binary people and, like, minority voices because it's the mm-hmm. idea that, like, you and you alone can save yourself and and triumph over evil. And I love what that stands for. So I love that you have a shop dedicated to that because there's not a lot of that on the market. There's not. And it's um, just like personally in my aesthetic, like I'm like, I like things that are like bright and like kind of cute and fun. And I'm like every horror shirt I saw, like they're not bad. I love, I love the gritty, dark, beautiful theatrical designs, but like you can only own so many black t-shirts and right. like, <laughs> I'm like, Absolutely. I live in Atlanta. It gets it gets hot, you guys. You cannot wear a black t-shirt all the time. <laughs> it's, yeah. too, it's too much black. Absolutely. It is. And it's a testament also to that horror fans come in all different shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. And you can be cute and still be a horror fan. And you don't have to be, you know, wearing black t-shirts or wearing chains or, you know, all these other things. You can be yeah. adorable. Exactly. I love it. And it's, um, it's also like selfishly, I'm basically just designing clothes that I want. So oh, yeah. it's like, okay, well, I want a Casey Becker t-shirt. So I'm going to make a whole collection. Yeah, yeah. right. As you, as you should. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you're, you're so right about the, uh, the genre shifting, especially in the last 10 years. I mean, yeah. I'm just 
like prior to the last 10 years, we it, it did feel like it was predominantly just like straight, you know, middle-aged white men who love Rob Zombie and like that yes, before. Yes. Yeah. And it was Jill it Roberts changed right. it, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it was Jill Roberts. She came in, Emma Roberts changed the whole, she did. whole conversation. She did. She she came in and she said surprise bitch and everything was different. <laughs> like, <laughs> she shot Trevor in the dick and we all got equality. <laughs> <laughs> and that was yeah, that was the end of that. Which mm-hmm. I mean, for Scream Three, I will say just as like a note at the beginning of getting into this, it was very much ahead of its time as far as the content that it was, you know, yeah. trying to portray and the message that it was mm-hmm. trying to get across and like the theme of you know, wanting this power and being like fame hungry from social media. This was like right at the cusp of social media taking off, like right before and right before Emma Roberts career also super took off, which like not coincidence. (laughs) Um, I I remember uh, when screen first came out or first was announced, I had just gotten a Twitter account. That is like Mm -hmm. how on point this, this story was. And I think it's a testament to Wes Craven, you know, before screen took off with the, whole meta kick he had done Wes Craven's new nightmare before which like was I think the the like starting line of meta horror and like really looking at real life versus horror and how they kind of interact with each other it's that's my favorite nightmare on Elm Street movie mine too (laughs) and I just like it's so good and I love that 10 year or it was like 15 years after the originals when Scream 4 came out something around that Mm -hmm. um he's still doing it nobody doesn't like Wes Craven he's still he still was like oh I got it I got I know where we're going I know where we're heading yeah. He has such a knack for picking out young stars who are going to be the next, like, ish. And I, I just, I specifically remember when Emma Roberts was cast. I was like, oh, is it she on, like, Nickelodeon? Like, I was like, I don't want to be, I don't yeah. be that, I don't want to be that person. But I don't, I don't know about this. Because I had thought it was going to be, um, I think it was, like, Selena Gomez. Somebody, I know somebody was, oh, it was, um, uh, what's her face? Lucy Hale. Lucy was, Hale. I think yes, she She's was the, the big rumor for Jill, and she was a big rumor for Jill. And there was something about like her pretty little liar schedule wouldn't work. And I was like hardcore campaigning. I was like, give Lucy Hale the job. I want. I love I her want, eyebrows. I, want, I want her. Yeah, I want it so bad. And then um, they were like, oh, the lead goes to this person, but like Lucy Hale was still announced. I was like, ooh, maybe it's a fake out. And I was like, no, it was like literally a fake out because Lucy Hale died in like five seconds. But, yeah, I know. you know, like ouch. And there's an alternate universe where Lucy Hale starred in Scream Four, and Ugh, that would have been it. great to see. I I do I love Lucy Hale. I was a massive Pretty Li- Little Liars fan. Yes. I watched it recently, and I was like, yes, this is everything. And then like it's after season five, it's like, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's fine. <laughs> like, I'm still a fan. Also realized I called Scream Four. Scream three because I was looking at my notes and it said Scream three, Scream five, <laughs> and I just oh, said yeah. there is no Scream four in Don't this universe it. on this day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's the jump between Scream three and Scream four is pretty massive. It's the biggest jump because Scream three mm-hmm. was supposed to be the last film in what was supposed to be a trilogy in this franchise. And then they brought it back in 2011 where Miss Emma Roberts came in and changed poor history. Changed the game. Poor herstory, if I do say so myself. (laughs) I will say, full disclosure for this podcast, I cannot stand Emma Roberts. So this is going to be a very interesting conversation. (laughs) Well, that's funny because like I do sometimes feel the same way but i don't know if it's because yes. i don't like ryan murphy <laughs> see i had to separate that 
Yeah, my distaste for her is one, I feel like she's one note, but also she beat the shit out of Evan Peters and didn't get yeah. taken to court. Oh my God, you're right. That she's was a domestic abuser. I have a huge issue with the fact that she's a domestic abuser. Yeah. Oh my God. I forgot that happened. Yeah. Nobody ever talks about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. And that is kind of crazy that no one talks about. Like the fact that I don't even. I think like, it's because they got married and like he kind of addressed uh, it and then they were still engaged mm-hmm. and then they got married. And I'm pretty sure they're divorced now, but like he just never pursued it further. Mm. But the, suffice it to say. I do love Hayden Panettiere and the rest of the cast of Emerald. Oh my goodness, yes. Also love Rory Culkin. So I'm much. In love with Rory so Culkin. Um, and in Scream 3, we have Parker Posey, who I <sighs> Parker really Posey. love. And I adore that her. For yes. what it was. Yes. Parker Posey, I think, came through for Scream 3. Um, we should just jump into Scream yeah, 3. Yeah, let's just jump into it. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This was a pre-Me Too film that was... A Me Too film. Again, yeah. ahead of its time. Yeah. Absolutely ahead of its time. Produced by Weinstein. Interesting. <laughs> also, I'm pretty sure the TV series was maybe produced by the Weinstein company. I could be wrong. I think it was. But um, I just know that he was very heavily involved in this franchise, which is yeah, very unsettling. Um, mm-hmm. But we love a lot of other people. I say, especially that he did not pick up that this movie was basically about him. No. And just yeah. like oh. fully produced it. It's like, sir, yeah. you are, ooh, you are dumb. You are so yeah, dumb. That is, that is yes, the Weinsteins, the Weinsteins did produce the television series as well. Mm. Huh. And so did Queen Latifah, apparently. Queen Latifah well, was also a producer on this. Oh, good for her. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And that's, that's the redemption arc. Yep. Is, is Queen Latifah also? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're we're staying in the '90s, early 2000s for mm-hmm. Scream Three. Where did we leave off at the end of Scream Two, and where are we jumping in at Scream Three? So we were talking about, um, well, we were really talking about the evolution of now Sydney's look being this very standard like layered but also tailored to like you know she's a woman now so she has a form-fitting persona but she's layered and she's still protected and this one again opens with her in the tank top but in a very different way where it's Uh her well when we get introduced to her as a character you know she's now volunteering or working for the crisis helpline Mm -hmm. which totally makes sense this is maybe one of the most sensical final girl storylines. Yeah, I really yeah. like that. I love that they did that for her because I think it shows her empathy to want to just continue to help and why she keep, why she is so resilient in these films because she not only takes care of herself, she takes care of others in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love um I love that she goes under a pseudonym too because it's that idea that like she is she is closing herself off more and more. Uh, I think her dad even has that line. He's like, the only people you talk to don't even know your name. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, exactly. Like that is, that is a hundred percent a point. Psychos can't kill what they can't find. And it's, it's that mm-hmm. again, in closing, like she isolates herself in the mountains. It's just her and this adorable dog. Yeah. And um, it's, it's heartbreaking in a way. Cause you're like this poor girl who has already been through so much. And now the only way she can cope and survive is to literally cut herself off from the entire world. To the point, like, her dad brings her groceries. She doesn't even leave for groceries. 
Yeah. yeah. I feel like we see that a lot in storylines about – I just finished the book, The Nature of Witches, and um, where, you know, like these women who have a lot of power feel that their power is harming other people or that like Sydney is like – you know, everybody around her is getting hurt or, or dies and she wants to protect them by closing herself off. And then it hurts mm-hmm. these women more in the process because they're isolating themselves and they're alone. And then mm-hmm. there's no growth there and it's, it's harming their psyche and it creates more trauma for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And can I just say like, I, have you guys heard of uh, Kevin Williamson's original story for Scream 3 that was basically you know, thrown out by the writer. Mm-mm. Originally, it was supposed to be that the killers were like a fan club of Woodsboro kids yes. that had like formed yeah. because of Stab. And Interesting. I, and like, it was supposed to be like, they were doing the killings and the surprise was going to be Sydney like walked in and Ghostface had killed everyone and they all rose up and they were like, they had planned the whole thing and it was going to be a whole ridiculous Just to bring thing. her back, yeah. Yeah, oh, and I, I did want to see that. I, I wish we got that, but instead we are in hollywood which is very Ugh. like it it adds up but i'm also like uh. <laughs> but it also doesn't it's tie like, the killer to one place like you know how you know jason sure. only kills at crystal lake or yeah. in the earlier ones you know like it where does expand it, the, the universe for right sure. right the hollywood it, i mean it is campy like this is camp this this movie is high camp i mm-hmm. firmly believe that um parker posey is the only one who knows what movie she's in <laughs> Like, absolutely she, she only she always ever knows yeah she's the only one who ever knows and like yeah. i <laughs> i love the original the original plan and um i think that was the also the the stew mocker was supposed mm. to come back for the third one and like matthew Lillard got paid for it <laughs> no, we're, we were but we got the story um kevin williamson i think repurposed it for his show the following so oh, if you watch oh, the amazing. following if you watch the following, it's basically it's like it's basically the serial killer has like a following of people, which would be like the Woodsboro High School students, okay. um, and that he kind of like directs them, and they're like infiltrating. It's it's insane. It's a it's a great show. The first season, the okay. first season is a great show. Wow, yeah. I gotta check it out. I love Kevin Williamson. You can definitely tell that Scream Three was was not written by him. Was not was not written by him. You yeah. can yeah. you can tell, and it and it. I think that has a ma- it speaks for itself a little bit. It has a massive yeah. impact on um, everyone's perception of it. Um, yeah, and I think that the general consensus I would agree with for the most part. I do think that it. I mean, there are aspects of it that I do like. You know, we have again Sydney working for this um, mm-hmm. this shelter. We have. Um, I mean, just just Parker Posey's character in general. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in general, so good. And just yeah. yeah, just in general, and you know, it, it is kind of like a a scathing review of you know how how women are treated in in Hollywood, yeah. um, and I think that that is very on the nose. Um, yeah, and I did like seeing Cotton Weary again. Uh, rest in peace, Cotton Weary, <laughs> <laughs> for yeah. the time that we had him. That was yeah. fun. What lasted? Um, I also know that given like the timing of the film. The Columbine High School massacre happened pretty yeah. much right before, yeah. yeah. And so they're they kind of increase like the like they put emphasis on like the comedy in the film and yeah. Yeah. the horror and the gore and the violence was reduced in response to you know public scrutiny about violence in the media. 
yeah. pro- pretty much directly because of the Columbine High School massacre, but also because I don't think that while Scream was trying to divert from what people's perception of horror was and what like horror did to kids, you know, in like the early mid nineties, I think mm-hmm. there was a little bit of that there. It didn't take much in the real world to go back to blaming horror films on stuff like that like yeah right. in the media this yeah this film sits at a really weird interesting time in history because like you said it's like columbine is 99 and then we have 9 11 happening in 2001 so it's mm-hmm. right in, right the, in middle. the middle of crazy stuff yeah and like i think that's why early aughts horror doesn't always come off as strong because mm-hmm. you have to think about like what the country, specifically American horror, like what our country was going through at the time where it didn't really know what its place was. And then, you know, how much violence could you show? How much do, or, or quote unquote, is this influencing children? Is this influencing, mm-hmm. you know, violence or whatever? And it, obviously it's not, we know that. But then, you know, and then when you have mass tragedy on on a larger scale, like 9-11, where it's like, can you show these things anymore? Is it okay to even touch on these topics anymore? Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, it's really interesting. So I think going to Hollywood was a really smart choice. I think I like how they throw off who the who done it where they put a lot of people in on your radar. So you really don't know who it is. And I like that element of this one. I think this one does it the most effectively out of all of them. Mm -hmm. I think um, the one, like, I think, first off, um, saying, like, there, I don't think there's any such thing as a bad screen movie. I think the worst screen movie is still better than a lot of horror. Correct. Um, But (laughs) the the sad thing is, like, it's not even, I don't want to blame the new writer, Aaron Kruger, because I know it's not... He didn't come in maliciously to do this. Like he, he was no, hired. It was a job, it's, and it's fun. and he did his best. Right. Exactly, absolutely. But I think the, I love that you brought up um, just the environment around this movie. Is like they literally they couldn't make a scream movie. Like they mm-hmm. had to make Scream White. It was like Diet Scream. Yes, um, it was Diet Scream. <laughs> diet Scream. <laughs> and it's like it's it still works on a lot of levels. Um, I don't like that Sydney never met Roman before the reveal. I agree. Mm. And I'm like, I feel like just like, I I feel like there would just be just one scene, just one, like while she's on the set running from Ghostface, like have him be there so they can like have at least have an exchanged look. So it's like, you can tell that he's aware she is there. Right. Like just just something, I just wanted something. And like, I, I know this is going to sound like lame. I hate that there's only one killer and like the script was written for two killers. The script was written for two killers because it just doesn't make sense that it's only one person. Because there's so many people. Uh, Right. Yeah. Right. And like he's like literally the hardest working man in show business. He should have <laughs> Parker Posey. We should have had a Parker it, Posey kill moment. Or like a I don't know. A Parker Posey ghost face monologue. Ugh. Boots down. Would have been Oscar worthy. Yes. So good. Would have been amazing. Yeah. Also, I would say that as far as the wardrobe of this film and just the design in general, mm-hmm. Parker Posey brings the most Y2K two thousand fashion. Oh in my the whole God. film. It is camp. <laughs> it is everything. It is mm-hmm. so like you swear she got her whole wardrobe from TRL. Like oh, it yeah. is <laughs> so so 99 2000. Like the scene it where is, Dewey yeah. and Gail go in after Sarah Darling has been murdered and they go to Jennifer's house. She's in that like almost a mirror of what uh Courtney Cox is wearing, but she's got those like plastic pants. And the pattern top and like the, the just the jewelry and the hairs and the space buns. And you're like, how old are you? What's happening? <laughs> what and you're like, you no, 
boring. <laughs> she's an actress. She is like she's a hanger. She is just wearing what she thinks works for the moment. And I just mm-hmm. I love it. Yep. I love how she just looks so almost surreal. Like you're like, what she is, does. Who, who wears this at she, home? Like she looks like she could be in Cecil B. Demented by John Waters. Mm-hmm. Like that's what yes. she is giving in this film. <laughs> I love that she clashes patterns. She has like a cheetah print top with like a floral like looks like like a mm-hmm. satin jacket and you know she's wearing all these like different mesh tops and asymmetrical cuts and pretty much no one else in the film is doing that she also has the fun uh you know replica of dale's you know yeah. suit and it's funny because that suit oh yeah that parker posey wears is it doesn't look as cool as the original it one doesn't. but it's like it's supposed to it looks like a costume it looks like a cheap version yeah. Um, and so it, it yeah. makes sense. I love that she has the Gale Scream 1 highlights. Oh, yeah. Like that it's really, so that really yes. intense bang and like the facial layering. And it's like, oh, God, they really like, can you imagine seeing somebody who's dressed exactly like you four years prior? That would be so creepy. Like, like oh, God, also, what was I yeah. doing? Like, what is this situation? A hundred percent. I like, I, I really admire the fact that Parker Posey is not afraid mm-hmm. to look ugly and to look ridiculous. Like she, and like, I think that's why she's so fabulous, but such an underrated actress yeah. because she's in so many things. She's so good and you believe her every time. And she's not afraid to look a fool. And I think, and like uh, more actors need to adopt that because it's it's not you up there. It's that character. And she fully mm-hmm. embraces that in everything mm-hmm. that she I does. I love that. Yeah. I love, um, later there's another pleather pants moment uh, at the house, at the house, Gail. Like one of my favorite outfits for Gail. Oh my altogether. God, I was just going to say it's the best. <laughs> the red pleather pants with oh the matching God. like hoodie turtleneck combo. It's I'm so like, I want that outfit. I, it's like, yeah. It's yes. So who creeps around in that outfit? Like, who creeps around in bright pleather red pants? But it's also, so like, funny. this was... It brings me back to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where she, in the fifth season, she's, so like, pleather. fighting vampires in pleather pink pants. I'm like, yeah, all right. I guess I guess this is yep. just where we live now. This is where this society is, is with fashion. Yeah, this is society now. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, one of my favorite yep. costumes in general from the franchise, just because it's mm-hmm. kind of super odd. Like, the turtleneck and the pleather pants, I feel like maybe would have made sense on their own. But then, like, just the, the sweat hoodie. jacket and, the, like, yeah, like, the hoodie, It it's like, why did we, why? <laughs> like, what's going on here? It's a very mixed bag with um, what that outfit is telling me. And also, it's L.A. Is it that cold? Like, Yeah, it's probably not that cold. She probably could have gotten away with just the turtleneck. Right. And, like, is it maybe, yeah. maybe 70s? Like... What are you doing, Gail? Those pants have got to be so hot. The idea of putting the hoodie on, I think, was almost used as a way to, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of a trope to, you wear a hoodie when you're like sneaking around, around someone's mm-hmm. house. or this. So I feel like maybe right. that's why they did it. It did feel like they just had that outfit and then we're like, oh, we need to throw a hoodie on her. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, you know what? I'm yeah. okay with that. We also have her iconic bangs, so can't not mention Ugh. the iconic bangs. You have to. Um, oh my gosh. That poor woman. I think, great. I feel like... <laughs> watched Courtney Cox address them on Drew mm-hmm. Barrymore show for the fifth oh yeah when she was being interviewed and this poor woman just looks like so, so <laughs> beside <laughs> herself she's so over talking about these poor bad fun. <laughs> I've come around I've come around I like him now like I think I've gone so deep they've gone so they're so into queer culture that I'm like nope I love them those bangs yeah. are everything yeah she's giving it to you 
It's done a full cycle. Yeah, I noticed though, like, so third season of Buffy also and she came had out the in 2000. Bangs. And there are some moments. Mm-hmm. She does have the bitty bangs, yes. And I had the poor the poor misfortune of cutting oh, my no. own bangs like three summers ago. And I had bitty Edith head bangs. <laughs> <laughs> so Not maybe it's phase. just like in the third, right, in the third trimester of your life, it's just you I have to be Betty Page. It's like you want to be Betty Page, but you're going to get Gail Weathers. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> right. It's never going to happen, guys. You're trying right. to I give these rockabilly, yeah. but you actually get Scream 3 gay yes. leathers. And the only person who could rock those tiny bitty bangs was Edith Head because they just sat like right up yep. on her forehead. Yeah. And they're perfect. I, I think what makes these just feel so unique with a little, you know, an extra little spice is that they are <laughs> so sparse. <laughs> they're so- right. They are, and her eyes are so intense throughout this whole film, and they do so many close-ups of her, and so it's just the the framing. And there's of her a little face bit of bang up top, like bangs. And there, it's like <laughs> it's like they were razored too yeah. much. Like there yeah. wasn't enough to like thin them out, but they did it anyway. And you're and like, they just they look, yeah, they look spiky. Like they look like they're like spiky, and like I don't know. I tried. I did a um a Gail Weathers design for the site, and I was trying to draw the bangs. I was like, I think I'm just going to make them look better. Like I can't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to draw this other than to make it look like a Simpsons character. Like it's just it's not going to work. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I think that she. I I think the bangs are endearing. I hope that Courtney Cox isn't too sad about them because I think that mm-hmm. they are iconic in a good yeah. way. Like, I think people were like, they oh my are. god, the bangs are so bad, and now people are like, actually, I love the bangs, and now it's camp. I think they're, to me, yeah. they're up there with, like, Tatum's tie-dye digital print skirt. It's like, it's classic. Absolutely. It, needs to, it belongs. It's here. It's part of the franchise. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, Completely I'm agree. I'm sold. I think something I noticed yep. about Gail, and also, actually, about Sydney too, um, through most of, like, the beginning of the film, and, I mean, even into, you know, the pleather pant moment, um, they were both wearing a lot of red in this film, which I haven't seen really before. That wasn't really the palette that they were going for mm-hmm. um, before. I will say that the yeah. palette of the film in general, in my opinion, does like, you know, when you take into account, you know, the, the world and the background characters and that kind of thing, even though they were in a Hollywood, it didn't feel too, too different when it came to like the general color palette outside of our like legacy characters. So like, the yeah. blues and the browns. Yeah. I think that does have to do a little bit with just that these were filmed within such a short span of each other. I yeah, think that the, the fashion you know, hasn't changed that much. The fashion hasn't changed that much. And right. I do think just despite having a different costume designer each time, I do think that um, I believe it was Abigail Murray who did mm-hmm. Scream 3 and also did um, Tremors, actually. Uh, she oh. did, I think, evolve what Kathleen and Cynthia did really, really well. Um, Mm -hmm. in the previous two films and I think just the fact that they were able to shoot all of these so close together helped in keeping it you know really streamlined yeah Yeah. you know it it would have been hard to make a third to a trilogy you know if it was like five years Mm -hmm. after um you know the the one right before it so but yeah I noticed the red and I'm curious as to why that was a choice you know we have Sydney's uh like little red cardigan and then we have Mm -hmm. um Gail is in a red dress, I think, when we first see her as well, or at least I don't know if that's exactly. Well, is that when we first see her? One of the first. We see her at the, the speaking the speaking moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's in that red dress yes. then, mm-hmm. and then as the film evolves, we kind of see Sydney goes kind of back towards what we saw in Scream Two, which was the 
green, brown, Laura Croftian color palette. Very earth tony, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. the outfit yeah. that she wears um, in the uh, the finale, the last half, is like I mentioned in the last episode, just because I like noticed this and then I couldn't stop thinking about it. Like it's almost outfit. like yeah, the same outfit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a little bit of a different jacket, but it's the same outfit. Down to like the frat the frat necklace. She's wearing Derek's necklace yep. too. And it's like they are like literally I love that touch. Yeah. I, I always feel like the color palette for this movie, I know like we make fun of the pleather and like all this stuff in like a loving way, but it is so like Woodsboro is Northern California and Los Angeles yeah. is Southern California and it's a, a bigger city. So I think Abigail did a really great job in capturing mm-hmm. the color of the city. Cause think about all the other movies that came out during this time, right? You have the mask, which is set in LA. You had Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion, yeah. which is set in LA and like all of these super colorful Los Angeles, Beverly mm-hmm. Hills moment type of films where color high fashion was center stage so she did that in a very grounded very real way and kept the like like the 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 pink halter top that jenny mccarthy is wearing this like fun flirty mm-hmm. los angeles and then when sydney comes to She's the like police station we get the grounding yeah. yes yeah that grounding of woodsboro she's bringing mm-hmm. woodsboro with her she's bringing the woods yeah. literally with her because she looks like a tree she's got the green she's got the brown yeah, and I thought that was a, such a lovely contrast. And then Dewey still yeah. looks like a dad. Yeah, he has this khaki little, you know, jacket that he's still wearing. We see him in more colors this time, which is nice. He's experimenting with some patterned shirts. A little blue and polo. A little, yeah, a little polo here and there. Yeah. But, of course, he still has to have his little dad jacket. Um, also, I will totally say that the pink halter top, I completely associate that with, like, 2000s trope of L.A. actress. Pink halter top. Yeah. Okay. 100%. Yeah. Halter top with the denim, denim like the the mid denim skirt and then the black the chunky Steve Madden flip-flops. chunky one band flip flop. Yeah. 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 Oh, yep. Love it. Steve Madden in the nineties and two thousands. It's he phenomenal. He's so yeah. good. I, what I love is like they they are still very consistent through all the movies with specifically Sydney and Gail keeping them at this opposition as far as wardrobe goes. Like in the first one. Sydney is in denims. She is um, very cool tones, very guarded. And Gail was in these bright, um, catchy, like eye beautiful um, designer pieces. And then now in the third movie, again, it's Sydney is low key, especially when she's at home. She's in those dark colors, loose fitting, comfortable yoga mom. And then you've got Gail in pleather pants and this severe jacket and these bangs and this straight black hair. And it's it's so great to see that that consistency has been a narrative tool to show you just subconsciously. These are two very different women on very different kind of personality paths. And mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah. such a easy characterization for them because you know who Gail is. And then what's funny is um, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but in the fourth one, they're both of their first outfits are a similar dress and a warm tone and a cool tone. Mm-hmm. And it's like they are mm-hmm. they they've merged because Courtney in the or Courtney in the third one, she's got the bright red pleather pants, but like that oatmeal soft organic uh, kind of turtleneck, and it's like you can see. And then Sydney mm-hmm. has got that red uh, cardigan. She's and then in the last scene, she's showing some shoulder. She's wearing that tank top with the wrap skirt. It's almost like the experience is diverging them to like a middle ground together, where Sydney is getting a little bit more fashionable. She's being more womanly. Gail is like kind of, I don't want to say getting a better taste, but like she's she's calming down. She's, <laughs> she's not neutralizing a little bit. She's neutralizing. 
And then yeah. in the fourth yeah. one, you see them, yeah. they both settled in this really beautiful, colorful earth tones. Nothing too crazy, but it's very flattering, very womanly, or I guess stereotypically womanly. Like it's it's shapely. I love it. I've, it's, it's fun looking at them just through clothes alone. It's one of my favorite things about wardrobing is the characterization you can make, especially when you have the chance to do multiple movies with someone. Exactly. Absolutely. They can evolve with you and with time. Mm -hmm. It's always so cool. Like when you're looking at a franchise, you you do genuinely get to see, you know, you're thinking about how these characters are going to evolve. What have they gone through? What's different about them? And yeah, yeah, I think that you couldn't be more um, on the nose here with kind of how we see this duality with them, but we also Mm -hmm. see their individual journeys, but that duality is still maintained throughout that so you know you could say that gail is becoming a little less flashy because you know she's been through some shit and her you know mm-hmm. you could say that she's maybe even becoming more sure of herself and doesn't feel I, like she yeah. has to be flashy she doesn't have to be the, fit, right. the visual pop like she herself is the pop mm-hmm. yeah exactly yeah and she's yeah and i think that's what makes this one so different from the others for gail because in the first one emma and i spoke to that you know she's a small town Mm-hmm. news anchor who's trying to be like she's from a city so she's wearing all these crazy colors and now that she lives in this city she still has those colors but in a more realistic mm-hmm. manner and it becomes more they become real mm-hmm. people and they, they're they starting to evolve more like it's that. almost like a slingshot because in the second movie she was devoid of color her whole wardrobe was black and white right completely it's like, yeah. it's like oh no she shot mm-hmm. too severe she had those like harsh red streaks she had that blunt cut she had that like really angular jacket that had the striping in it and now she's like come back she's like no i want a little bit more of who i was like trying to find that middle ground yeah like i could be me and still Mm -hmm. be professional i don't have to be black and white quote unquote to be professional i can add color to be professional and i think that's a lot of women in the workplace still today too it's like how do you maintain your femininity and still be taken seriously but then also like you, you can be all those things in the workplace and then it, it doesn't devoid from your professionalism and what you have to offer mm-hmm. in the workforce and your um, drive in the mm-hmm. workforce either. Absolutely. I and I think that like with Sydney's yeah. wardrobe and how that evolves, you know, so screen two, of course, Sydney's in college, um, kind of getting her footing. And then this film is the first time we're seeing Sydney kind of more as an adult, obviously gone through even more shit. That is deeply traumatizing at a formative mm-hmm. age. Um, but, you know, yeah. like you mentioned that at the end where we see her in this almost like sarong style, like maroon skirt with the tank top. Mm-hmm. It feels very... Her hair's up. Her hair's up. It is so, like, mm-hmm. that is the most relaxed costume I have seen in this whole franchise. There is, like, it. it there's peace in that, you know? And it, it's really interesting because it's like you know that she's not like fine like you know like she's obviously she's still going through trauma, it but i think yeah she's at a place where she feels safe even if for a moment mm-hmm. and she's she's opening yeah. herself up to yeah. get help from other mm-hmm. people not just isolating herself like she's like no i'm i'm i've been through this and yes she has her trauma but she knows that she can deal with that with people in her life yeah yeah and i think this is the first time we've seen sydney in a dress nightgown mm-hmm. aside i think yep. this is the first time that in all three films that we ever and i think it's the only time too that we see her in a skirt or a dress or any sort well, the of the opening the opening of screen like four that. the first scene when she's doing her book reading it's because those are what's great oh, those right, are yes. technically like if you're going chronologically those are connected scenes 
that she Completely, she's matured yeah. and right. then yeah right such a yeah. smooth transition and and there is just really really smooth wardrobe evolutions throughout this entire mm-hmm. franchise which is really really cool to see you know legacy characters portrayed so well and it makes you feel like the characters are sure of themselves the team that is making it is sure of the characters like it just it reads really well i think i also love to see at the end we have you know dewey's not wearing his little dad jacket uh you know when he's, no, he's like, like proposing to yeah. Gale. it's he's so like cute relaxed, dewey. yeah he's like relaxed dewey still dad yeah. dewey and vacation dad <laughs> yeah he's vacation dad dewey although that is maybe one of my favorite Dewey scenes. I think David Arquette is so adorable in it. It is so wholesome. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, I'm nervous. Oh, I'm a little baby boy. And I'm just like, it's so this cute. Is amazing. You're adorable. Um, and then Gail yeah. is also wearing what is pretty much the exact opposite of red. Uh, she's wearing an entirely blue outfit with matching blue mm-hmm. butterfly clips, which is, you know, giving I... us a little bit of that Parker Posey Y2K. Yeah. She, I love yeah. it. To me, it's like, it feels so not Gail. But also mm-hmm. it's like, well, clearly she's let something go. Like she is, yeah, she's completely. just being free. And I think, I mean, I've, obviously I'm sure the the experience just makes you want to try new things. But like she, it just, that scene between them is so beautiful. And I think a lot of it has to do with um, just their relationship at the time, uh, Courtney Cox and David Arquette. Like they had just gotten married before they started filming the movie. Um, I think the scene when Sydney arrives at the police station that's like their first day back from their honeymoon. Uh, and you can tell because Courtney Cox is hella tan in that scene. <laughs> like she it looks been good. To Cancun. Yeah. <laughs> Which, she's wearing like this orange yeah. and black top and she just looks so, she looks so tropical. She looks great. Uh, and <laughs> yes. the, the commentary is just like, wow, they look, they look really tan here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, lo- I yeah. love that. I love that look for her. I love it's like it's like I feel like you're seeing the real inside Gail. Like there's mm-hmm. no fronts. There's no costumes. It's like at her heart, she wants to be a soft person. She wants to yeah, totally, you know, be herself. Yeah. It, but, you know, professionally, she does throw that front up all the time of the severe and the intense and the really bright, colorful wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like even though, you know, the story at large is about Sydney. And, you know, this ghost face keeps coming mm-hmm. after her. This particular one in the installment is really about yeah. Gail's journey because she not only, I mean, she's written the book, she's done all of that stuff we know, but this is the one of the times that we see her like completely take charge. She has Parker Posey's character by her side and they're the ones digging for information. They're becoming, you know, she's becoming that investigator that we know and love and she's done Mm -hmm. it in other films, but this is a very different side of Gail that we're seeing in this movie that later carries into Mm -hmm. four and five. And I, I really enjoy Gail's journey in this. Mm -hmm. And like, I know know a lot of um, Nev Campbell and why she's so rare. She was filming something else at the time. So they only had her for a certain amount of time, Mm. but talk about like, a beautiful bright side of that is getting to see so much Gail and getting to see her character really take charge and shine and see Dewey. Like Dewey, I feel like he most really of what asks. I remember from Dewey is he gets stabbed. Like he, mm-hmm. those are always his big scenes is he gets stabbed or he's hugging Sydney. And it's like, Oh, this was just, it, it was great. I know um, Scream 3 is not a lot of people's favorites, um, but there are, there are gems. Like I, are. I really, I really dislike yeah. when people just immediately write it off as the worst. It's like, no, there's really good stuff here. It may be yeah. aesthetically different, but there's some really solid stuff in this movie. Yeah. It has elements that, you know, like we've mentioned, like th- there are really nice elements of this, both, you know, stylistically, plot wise, you know, even if just, you know, moments of the plot that move the, you know, franchise along, you know, things like 
you know, Gail and Dewey um, getting together, having that sweet scene and Sydney's progression. Like I loved all of that. And we had new characters that were really enjoyable to watch. I also enjoyed Patrick Dempsey. Like it, it was fun. And yes. like, even though yeah. like it is, it's not my favorite. Like this is unfortunately not my favorite scream mm-hmm. film, maybe my least favorite scream film, but I still like it. You know, like you mentioned, Bradley, a bad scream movie is still like a good movie. <laughs> yeah. In yeah. comparison yeah. to many other films that can really fall flat. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's hard to do a franchise and like, even if this was originally supposed to be a trilogy, I would say that as a trilogy, the first three films are pretty cohesive and the design, the design of all three films is really cohesive. And, you know, I think that everyone in the film, the actors, the whole team did a really good job at helping us feel as though these characters are evolving naturally and that things make sense in a ridiculous universe such as a meta slasher film. It's hard to do that. It's hard to make it feel both relatable and like it makes sense and also be super silly and campy. And that balance um, was done really, really well. Um, And I think that is, you know, the masterful hands of Wes Craven and also, Mm -hmm. of course, Kevin Williamson setting up this universe so beautifully um, that I think the trilogy was truly a breeding ground for inevitable comebacks and sequels and reboots and TV series. Scream 4 came out 11 whole years, a little over a decade after the trilogy. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, at that point, they're not, it's not as easy to evolve the story and evolve the characters. There has to be more thought put into, okay, it's been 11 years. Now, what are they doing? It made sense to be like, what did they do two years ago? But now we're like dealing with something that's kind of a different ballpark entirely. And I will say Scream 4, one of my favorite Scream films. It was also my personal introduction to the series um, mm-hmm. when it came out. And then it snowballed and I, you know, became obsessed with it and, and love the Scream movies now. But before Scream 4, I, I don't know. It was like a total blind spot for me. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll watch it sometime. But then Scream 4 came out. Then Emma Roberts came to me in a dream and said, <laughs> surprise, bitch, you have to watch this film. Fresh out of Aquamarine, I'm pretty sure. I think that was like the film she did right before this and then immediately did yep. this yes. film. Um, obviously, okay. starting her um, into uh, the horror universe and then, or should I say the Ryan Murphy verse um, uh. <laughs> more specifically. But uh, I will say that Scream 4, the design, very 2011. Extremely yes. 2011. Hundred um, yeah. percent. You know, yeah. I owned most of the wardrobe that these. <laughs> yeah. were I mean, I say the opening with Marnie and Jenny. Marnie Cooper is like peak winter two thousand eleven. She's got the boots over the leggings with the slouchy sweater. Oh my god! I'm like, yep, that is. I yep. I knew many people who had that exact mm-hmm. outfit. It's yep. yeah. I do. I say, yeah. do you take a little umbrage with it because I'm like, what season is happening here? Because Jenny <laughs> is in What's a tank on? top and like these like skinny jeans and little vans. But Marnie is dressed for winter in like a sweater dress and like what I just don't understand. What's going on here? What, I, what season are we in? I will say that um again, like we mentioned, love Miss Lucy Hale. I wish yes. we saw uh, more of her in this cool. film, but she was the moment in 2011. And she was you the like mm-hmm. she was it. And like in Pretty Little Liars, like that's where you get like the peak, like chaotic 2011, like 
feather in the hair, cracked nail polish core. Yes. Like it's giving like confusing <laughs> seasons. It's giving layers. You don't really know what's going on. Yeah. Like the color palette mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. Um, you know, lots of gem tones yeah. and grays and like browns and then pops of color. Yeah, just like little pops or yeah. Where I come from, we call that uh, Long Island trash yes. couture, where you wear your boot, where you wear your UGG boots with your Hollister shorts and your ponytail slightly pulled out of your a classic, so a classic look. And it's funny that like we are now at a point where we can look as look at 2011 fashion and identify it as 2011 fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like when I believe Uncut Gems was also set in 2011, and I remember having a conversation yeah. with a friend about Uncut Gems. And they were asking me, like, how do you make a period piece that's not far, you know, in the past? Like, how do you achieve something that is, you know, if you don't have, like, tropes of clothing to reference? Like, now we're starting to see it and we're starting to be able to identify, Mm -hmm. like, oh, that was so 2011. But when it's, like, it hasn't, like, we haven't moved away from the trends of that era yet. It's hard to Mm -hmm. identify, but we're at this really kind of fun point to be at now to be able to look at 2011 and be like, this feels nostalgic now. And so I feel more well prepared to <laughs> be able to look at this film and identify like, oh, that's extremely a trend of the time. Like that, mm-hmm. you know, the Henley tops, yeah. like the whole the uh, Hayden Penetier's ugly blazer, like <laughs> the whole thing. Oh, gosh, yes. Tope, so much yes. tope. The double tank mm-hmm. tops. The plaid, the tiny, tiny plaid, tiny pink plaid. It's upsetting. Yeah, that um, <laughs> blouse that Emma Roberts is wearing when we first meet her and she oh, gets the into Hayden Pettigrew's car with yep. the ruffles down the front. Yes, with the uh, cardigan. I had that top. It was from Forever 21 and it had a huge exposed like chonk zipper up the oh, back. Oh, I would fully believe that. That was <laughs> oh the God. year of the exposed zipper. <laughs> that was um, that I was love- the year. Like the band-aid dress. But like yes. a, a one and a half inch wide yep. zipper. They couldn't be bothered to try to conceal it. <laughs> with this like, right, right. It, on this like chiffon top. Oh, with the and we bought it. We did it. We were into it. Oh, I wore it all. Wore it all. The biggest callback is... um lucy hale wearing that like color burnout over a tank top that's like the super long tee with the skinny jeans i'm like that is straight out the disney channel (laughs) like she is she is living Mm -hmm. and i love i love it i still like i have a long torso so i always want a t-shirt that's too long to wear Mm -hmm. but like i'm like this just like she looks comfortable she's ready to go she and i love when you were talking about um doing uh period clothing that's just not too far away i think their scene did it perfectly. They mentioned uh, Punked and Ashton Kutcher, Channing Tatum's early years, yep. and a sidekick. And they I was have like, sidekicks. That's it. Yep. And they talked about a guy, <laughs> a guy stalking me on Facebook. I'm like, you're too young to use Facebook. You wouldn't use Facebook now. This has got to be sense. old. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I, I yep. love it. Yeah. It's, it's so, so good. It's so pinpointed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I will say we're still, we're still close enough to that decade. And I think because we were in the thick of it too, that I don't feel it cringy yet you know like it's not cringeworthy enough like I feel like if people look back on you know if they were teenagers in the 90s going oh what did I wear I I'm not there yet with it but there are still some some things things. I'm like there are some things I'm beginning to cringe at like there are some this was also the era of I just remember like going to forever 21 which is also just like the height of forever 21 and like fast fashion was crazy at this time um so much yes I was, say, I was gonna say what a pandemic I'm like no it wasn't the pandemic it was the uh recession yeah recession yeah it, re- it was exactly yes. that was a direct mm-hmm. reason as to why fast fashion was going absolutely nuts at this time everything in forever 21 was like yeah. cobalt blue 
And then there was mm-hmm. also like, I think mm-hmm. 2011 was maybe right before this, but we were about to go into the like neon thing. And then like the Aztec yeah, yeah. white person neon thing. Oh, there was rough. some in like, two. I remember 2008 seeing like pencil, like stretched pencil skirts with the Aztec yeah. neon prints yes. mm-hmm. in them. And then you wore them with like the scrunched boots <gasps> that came just below your knee with no, a really thick no. waistband. And I, <laughs> oh, yeah. So I do remember that. Oh, the Aztec <laughs> bandage skirt waistband can't yeah. hurt me. Oh. I did not partake in those. I was a um, Hollister Paxson yep. girl. So I did a lot of the baby doll tops with the camisoles across. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to yeah, be yeah, modest, yeah. But to, to double I, layer. Because the t-shirts were so thin. The, oh my God, they t-shirts were. T-shirts were see-through. Yes, and they were so see-through and v And they had the nice, mm-hmm. yes. But I will say, I loved those tank tops that they had the nice lace on, around the bottom. Those were actually super nice. And I really want those, those especially to come back. For, I say that's great for like, if yeah. you have a top you want to wear, but if you reach up, it's like, belly, just wear it under your clothes. You're fine. Yeah. It looks like underwear. Yeah. Right. Because remember, our jeans were still low at the uh, time. So how are we accomplishing I mean, things? Oh, really long tank tops. Also, yeah. like you can find uh, the lace camisoles probably on Depop for like $80 now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is it, it's it. so terrifying. It's terrifying. It's, I was watching this video yeah. on um, Twilight Core where oh kids or young girls are trying to do like the Bella Swan look. I'm like, oh my god! I was oh god. out of college when this happened. I can't. I can't, I can't process this. Movie. They're making me feel old. Like I can't. Yeah. They're like Henleys yep. and sneakers and bootcut jeans. Like, how do you find bootcut jeans? Like, don't even don't even talk about bootcut jeans. All right. <laughs> I do not want to have the bootcut conversation. <laughs> yeah. Get in a time machine and go back to Sun when Bullhead yeah, was a you need thing. You like we did, all right? <laughs> yeah, you need to. I right. was very much <laughs> at this period into the, like, I'm Zoe Deschanel thing. So oh, that was, that. like, my very beginnings of, like, being interested yeah. in, like, vintage. Like, like I think that's kind mm-hmm. of where it – like, I was, like, you know, 500 days of summer vintage. Like, I was, like, I, I want to wear – yeah. A little cardigan and like a little dress with like bikes on it, even though I can't ride a bike and <laughs> like ballet flats. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. this very smoothly transitioned me into my I want to be a French girl era, which a little bit is still there. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was rough. It was those were yeah. those were the dark ages. But like, I do miss them. Like we just didn't. We were all just like fine. But, you know. I don't yeah. know, this was also, like, right before Tumblr, and, like, that's, like, a whole different episode is, oh, like, Tumblr. Tumblr fashion, because that yeah. was me. <laughs> like, after my that's after fair. my Zoe Deschanel tweet era, I went into, like, I'm Tumblr an alternative B-girl. Tumblr cool person era. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, like, but I don't leave my room. <laughs> I say, were either of you ever Tumblr famous? No. I just... I was okay. I don't want to sound like I was a massive Tumblr celebrity, but I did gain a little bit of a following <laughs> because I used to blog about film and fashion in like 2014. And I had a little bit of a Tumblr following, but it didn't extend past Tumblr and no one knew who I was. So <laughs> was it me or was it something else? I could, yeah, I, I couldn't understand how to use Tumblr past the reblog, but fair. I mean, that, honestly, I Tumblr, Tumblr is very, they had a very confusing, so confusing. platform. I don't they think did. I knew that what you could. What was going on there? Yeah. I was like, how do you create content? All I can see is how to repost it. Yeah. So I would just repost things. I would read things. And it was a lot of like, because I culturally at the time we were in this very California core mm-hmm. kind of culture with, Lana Del Rey. you know, the OC. Well, no, no. This was like a little bit before Lana Del Rey. So this was like. 
it was like Laguna Beach, the hills. Hmm. Hollister was really big. Ryan Sheckler oh, like was really big. Like skating. Katy Perry, yeah. California yeah. Girls era. Yeah. Like it's like everything. Yeah. It was very, very like, it was interesting because in Scream 4, you have yeah. this like very like taupe, brown, gray, dark, like gem tones. We had mm-hmm. that and then that mm-hmm. was beginning to merge with the kind of like very 80s uh early 2010s um yeah yeah. you know where again like yeah i think about you know this was a little bit after scream 4 but uh pretty much right after this we had like the lita boots which i'm ready to for them Mm. to come back and the american apparel disco shorts (laughs) and the like denim acid wash like you know bra tops and like that was a whole thing and that happened like immediately after what we see in scream 4 which is pretty demur and yeah as, mm-hmm. i would say looking Land. back at the the costuming in scream 4 it's i don't want to say it's like business casual it and totally it may just be kirby's like it may be just be kirby's blazer looking <laughs> me dead in the eye but I, like yes. it's this idea like <laughs> everything was very like sharp and put together even like someone like rory culkin and and um uh, Eric mm-hmm. Knudsen, who like Charlie and Robbie, they both are in like pressed button ups in school, and like everybody, everybody just looked like just verging on hipster at the office, like yeah. so close. Yes. And that was early like BuzzFeed, a still my aesthetic, like interns. Yes, yes, very <laughs> early Buzzfeed intern. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Kirby's outfit is so funny to me because I it does confuse me, and I'm like, you don't look your age in this film, but I think it's right. literally just because. No. Teen girls started to wear blazers. <laughs> yeah. Well, because everybody was doing it because we had Tina Fey doing it on mm-hmm. 30 Rock. We had Amy Poehler doing it in Parks and Rec. And like, so the blazer with the t-shirt with the nice jeans. All was the like, girlies oh, wanted to be Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. <laughs> yeah. I still do. Oh, 100%. Yeah. But you could tell you could tell that these women are not real high school women, though, because they're wearing heels and no well. girl in Unless high school. Unless you no. pretty little yeah, liars high school. Like, Unless Which you, you are required, even right. the boys. Even, even the, the boys are required like, to wear everybody, heels. Everybody wears a stiletto. Everyone's right. serving. That's why had so much murder. Yeah. <laughs> you have no choice yeah. there. But in this universe, I feel like you have a choice and they're just doing it. And I don't know what, just, I don't know what to say yeah. to them. I feel, I mean, Emma Roberts does it just so she can clear the camera lens because she is teeny. Like there's mm. that scene really? in the Apple end where she like, when she collapses next to Sydney, <laughs> you can see the chunk on her heel. It's a giant heel and then also a platform underneath it that the like the filmmakers put on it. Yes. Because she's just so tiny. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Also, those were new shoes that they were all wearing because when they put their feet up on the coffee table, they've got nice rubber stick oh my God. <laughs> I was like, these shoes were no. not these are working in. not teenagers because those yeah. boys' shoes would be disgusting. Nope. My yes. favorite costume of this film I am curious if anyone agrees with me. And maybe this is because it feels the most like the original franchise and probably was done for that reason. But um, Robbie's outfit with the stab shirt. I'm so, so glad you say this. I have the exact Ooh. outfit. Oh. I, I, so Robbie, awesome. I have a crush on Robbie. He was my favorite As you character. Should. As you As, should. He's adorable. Um, I, yeah. so Scream 4 is like my. I don't want to say favorite because I feel like Scream, the original, will always kind of have a little special place. Um, but Scream 4, I was in a Scream 4 RPG on um, Tumblr 
Uh, we oh God, are yes. still all very good friends love to this that. day. We were the longest lasting RPG. And I feel like I have an unhealthy awesome. love of these characters because of the fake backstories and stories we gave them. Um, and I bought the, I loved his members only jacket. I thought it was super cute. So I bought the exact same one in like that limited edition color. And then I went to Dragon Con a few years later and I was like, you know, I could just cosplay as Robbie. So I bought a stab shirt from like Spreadshirt or something. Um, and I had the gray skinny jeans and I, I was like, oh. Well, now I officially have the whole outfit. Um, <laughs> and I still I still have that jacket. It's still one of my favorite jackets. Um, Robbie is still one of my favorite characters in the Scream series because I think he's just so specific and so ahead of his time as far as like live vlogging and doing like those live shows. Um, I don't actually think he's gay. I think that he was just saying that so he could probably survive. Um, I know people are people are split yeah. on it. They're like, no, he's definitely coming out. I'm like, no, I really don't think he was. I think he just wanted to live. Yeah. Um, but I just think he's so cute. And he his wardrobe was so cute and very, very me in that era of like punky prep. Like I like skinny jeans and vans, but I'll wear a button up in a cardigan. Yes. That was the put together mm-hmm. punk was very much totally. in at this time. And it was very like it's funny because in the you know, around the twenty fourteen mark in the twenty tens, we got really into the nineties grunge thing and you could kind of see the beginnings of that in the color palettes of twenty eleven and Basically, all of the plaid and the skinny jeans and so you know, much yeah, plaid. vans and war tour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder if this because like the X Games and this like skate culture that was underground at the time because of MTV and like Ryan Sheckler's show and like all this stuff, it actually came into the mainstream and it started to get more validity mm-hmm. and respect that. from that. And I think that's why it kind of pulled itself into the mainstream culture where like, you know, plaid and those big chunky sneakers with the big tongues mm-hmm. and the skinny jeans. Like that was all. It was reemerging. Yeah, yeah. Coming into fashion. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say um, that idea of like leaning into grunge. If you look at Jill's outfit in the finale, she's wearing those olive um, slim fit cargo pants. She's got the dark boot. She's got a plaid shirt. Um, I could see it. I definitely see how the the grunge movement was starting, especially in, I say, especially the female wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Um you can definitely yes. see it in Kirby with the deep colors and the kind of, I, I still, I know it's a style. I'm not a young woman, so I can't like say like, oh, it's specific. But like who, I don't know, understand like the corset tube top with a blazer. Like I just, my mind, I'm like, are you warm or are you cold? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was confusing. There was a lot of blending of like hard and soft mm-hmm. at that time. I remember like I would do like the lace like long gypsy skirts with the like chunky oh combat boots. And then I would, so like, I love that combination of hard and soft. It's very like mm-hmm. two sides of a I'm person. having more flashbacks to yeah. like, <laughs> to like pink lace, high, low dresser skirt with combat oh gosh, yes. boots. Yep. Which I, by the way, I did mix my little tweed dresses with combat boots because I was cool. Um, Fair. Also, <laughs> yeah. way more comfortable. Also more comfortable. Um, yes. And then like yep. a leather jacket with like little studs on it from Forever Twenty One, and I'm just and like a bow in the hair, like a Gossip Girl bow. I of feel course. like the, oh Gossip Girl, yeah, which was like very much yes. Now that I'm thinking about that very oddly specific outfit that just came to my mind, that was like of this kind of early 2010s era. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of reminiscent again, still of the eighties, very like Madonna, you know, lace and leather. Cindy Lauper, yeah. Cindy Lauper. Yeah. It, oh my God. I'm mm-hmm. also just, you guys, I'm remembering so much just like lace, <laughs> stretchy lace. Like that is neon. 
Do you guys oh, yep. remember? Mm-hmm. Oh my god. None I, of that is oh, in gosh. the Scream 4, but I'm just like now <laughs> remembering everything that was just like what was happening there. Um, uh, arm warmers. I just uh, think arm warmers. Striped yes. arm warmers. Yeah, I had the the like the leg warmers. I had the leg warmers mm. with the tiny denim yes, skirt. The teeny, the, the shortest denim skirt. The basically a belt. So tiny. Mm. Yeah. The denim mm-hmm. underwear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was and that was the moment. <laughs> it was the moment. Was, it was the yeah. ish. Yeah. So, I I I'll say I I love just going back to the idea of like the the eighties outfit and thinking of like do you had you have splatter paint? Like the neon splatter paint pattern mm. on things? Or was that specific oh, yeah. to like the garbage Rue twenty one I shopped at? I know, I remember. Um, I've seen them. I I did not take you part in that. <laughs> I didn't do neon. I did like I did I neon really like earth tones. I did do the orange nails. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And the I did do the colors. neon nails. But yeah. I didn't. I agree. I didn't do the splattered paint thing, but I do remember it, and that was a lot to take in. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because it was all the like the black New York City sweatshirt with the big typeface font yeah. with the splatter yes. paint yes. logo <laughs> on it. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I. Yes. I don't know. It's it's the design of Scream Four in you know with all of with this period of of fashion that is so very clearly different than the '90s. You know, we were so close to a '90s revival. In fact, that they kind of hit it right before that, um, which is actually probably good because then it would have gotten like, I don't know, it could have potentially gotten confusing the tone of like the wardrobe and the dress, um, just mm-hmm. because it's kind of hard to do. Like at least when you're, I mean, I know this isn't this wasn't a period piece, but if you're like doing a reboot of a film that came out in the 90s but then there's also this revival of 90s style um it can be you don't want it to look like you're just trying to do the 90s again even though it just happens yeah, you're mixing to be the theme. style of that time so i know that that can be a thing so they kind of hit it at a good time as far as right before this revival um potentially making the costume design a little more um complicated i'm sure that i'm sure that the costume designer completely could have uh handled it which by the way the costume designer's name is deborah mcguire and she also has done like <laughs> yes. a million blockbuster films like anchorman also sonic the hedgehog the live action oh. film she also did new oh girl my God. and she yes. did oh. new so girl. she is responsible she did, yeah for my style <laughs> in 2011 yeah. and 2012 um so yeah she's done a absolute bunch of stuff and you know it the wardrobe does feel a little you know, sterile and a little commercialized, but I think that that was mm-hmm. what they wanted. This was going to be a, a massive film. Um, I do think it actually was, it grossed the least out of all of the films, but I think that's because yeah. it was, I mean, they had a really solid run for this trilogy and like a very mm-hmm. specific fan base. You know, I don't think that everyone that saw um, Scream then necessarily was going to see Scream 4. It, it, it was, yeah. you know, a limited pool. So I don't think it's, you know, because Scream 4 was received not well or anything. Um, I think it was actually, I mean, it's a mixed bag, but was received as a improvement upon Scream 4, to, despite, you know, it grossing not as much as the other films. But yeah, the style doesn't necessarily feel as, I don't know, as much of a character as the designs of the original trilogy felt. No, but maybe that's because it was the 90s and this is 2011. It doesn't feel like that yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I wonder if we just don't see it because objective, like we can't look at it objectively because we were a part of it and we're wearing it. So all we can remember is like the crazy horrific things yeah. that we were wearing when like we can look at some moments that were bringing all these 
you know, things to the forefront, but it's really hard to pinpoint why these choices were being made. I mean, you can surmise like some, why some of the mm-hmm. choices were being made, but yeah, I think it's harder when you're in the thick of it to look at something and be mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, that was that. And yeah, that was we're that, just but, getting to the yeah. point where we can ever so slightly see that, you know, that's very clearly that era of fashion and we can, you know, mm-hmm. remember yeah. that, you know, block of five years, but it still doesn't feel, when I think about that era and I think about the 90s, it's a different feeling. It's a different emotional feeling. It's a different yes. nostalgia. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's because we were older. Um, in, we participated in, in it. Era. We were a part yeah, of it. Yeah, we were actively we did. participating in it. Right. And in the 90s, it was not as active for, for us and for our, mm-hmm. you know, our age range. Um, but also, I think, you know, you just like the scary movie films, you associate it so heavily with the time period that it came out. Um, mm-hmm. that it does feel kind of weird to adjust to. And I think that's why maybe people initially wrote Scream 4 off. But when you look at it, I think Jill is one of the best ghost faces in the franchise. Agreed, um, yeah. And I liked that there yes. was, yeah. um, that, that she also had teamed up as well um, with mm-hmm. Charlie. And I think that that was mm-hmm. really awesome. Um, I love Rory Culkin so much. And I think that he was awesome in this um one of my favorite characters um honestly not much for reasons other than it was rory culkin i thought he did a great job um but uh that entire i mean her stabbing herself and then like like just like that whole sequence was so insane Mm -hmm. and i didn't need the you know wardrobe to feel like a character because i think that you know, it, it did do enough for me, and and that was nice. Um, they weren't using, um, not that the other films did, uh, because I think they were strong in both aspects, but I think that even if wardrobe felt, at least right now, maybe a little bit weaker or just, you know, again, less of, there wasn't that much characterization in it, um, uh, aside from, you know, a couple characters. One, I think that that could have been intentional, but two, it was it didn't matter too much. I, I think that it was, it was good on its own and it was good for its time. And it, it made sense. I think it, it, it wasn't anything other than a 2011 uh, fourth installment to scream. That was really good. It, it, it makes sense for the time. And uh, uh, yeah, I think it was completely well done. And, you know, just yeah. like the original scream specifically 1996, it, a lot of the costumes I think were maybe intentionally supposed to be pretty neutral. And this was just like 2011 neutral, which was a little bit darker. And the only reason that I think that I don't love that as much is just because it makes the palette of the film a little bit, you know, dirtier, darker lit a little more mm-hmm. like what feels like a CSI episode. And I just personally like on yeah. a complete personal level of taste, don't like that style as much as I like things to be vibrant. Um, But it doesn't mean that they didn't objectively do um, a good job. Yeah. I think Debbie did exactly. I mean, like, I mean, we're talking about it, right? Like she, and and we wore those things. So I think it was effective costume design because they felt real Mm -hmm. to us because we were like, oh, I had that piece. I had this piece. So they were real teens of 2011. And also to the darkness, like this was probably the first Scream film not on film. It was digital. And it was edited digitally. So the lighting, all of that stuff, like that mid-2000s like film range where everything's a little bit dark, everything's a little bit blue and orange yeah. because we haven't really like 
figured out the digital editing. We haven't really figured out like what works best on digital film versus like mm-hmm. film film. That probably had a lot to play in with it too. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it was, I mean, yeah, it, it was effective. And, and I, and I also think because there were darker colors in fashion, like gray jeans, yeah. black jeans, yeah. you're going to pair darker colors with the like tops and stuff with that. And it's going to mm-hmm. be very like gem tones as a color palette. Tones. Just very, very much. Right. Then. Right. Um, which again, it did make it feel pretty cohesive. I feel like it was pretty easy to make everything yeah. feel really streamlined. So even though it was a bit of a darker palette than what we're used to, it was still the same amount of cohesion. And so I think that that did actually work pretty well. Um, what do you guys think about the yeah. evolution of our legacy characters and their style in this? I know we touched a little bit on the dresses that um, we see uh, Sydney and Gail in that are the same, mm-hmm. but also very different. I think what um, what's great about it is putting them against the kind of the newer characters. There's more depth, like with the newer characters. And I think it went with the message of the film being like the shallowness of a remake. Um, the newer characters mm-hmm. have a very shallow styled wardrobe. There's not a lot of character depth to it. They are Jill is the good girl and she's wearing the good girl outfit. And Olivia's the trendy hot girl. So she's wearing the trendy outfit and Kirby's like the hot girl. So Kirby's in the hot girl outfit. So like they, I, it, to me, the, I guess the mildness of the wardrobe feels very purposeful mm-hmm. uh, to the overarching story is they, they are not meant to be characters. They are characterizations and that's why none of them mm. survive, except for Kirby, possibly. Um, Please. So it's this idea <laughs> of then going going into like the legacy characters. Sydney's wardrobe has layers and depth to it when she shows up. Especially, I think of that scene when right. Olivia dies. She's in like a sweater and a tank top and a, a, a kind of a smaller tank top under it and boots and like these leggings. And she is in she's in shades of blue. She's not just blue. She is in like multiple shades, multiple layers. Um, and I don't know if that's intentional, but that's just how it comes across to me. And it's like, um, Dewey's in his sheriff's uniform. So it's like, that's a role, a protector and it's, it's Dewey doing it. And he, now he's the sheriff. So there's like layers on that. And, uh, Gail, when she is at the Stabathon, you know, she's in that, uh, badass leather jacket and the boots and the dark jeans. And it's like, these are, they're yeah. in their outfits just to me feel less like mannequins and more like pieces of their character. And I think the juxtaposition against like the more flat teenagers is it shows you like they've been through this. They've been on a journey and these teenagers, you right. know, they're not going to be around for a while. They're, they're, they're here to play a role, especially if you look at um, Trevor in the, his, the last kind of third of the movie, he's wearing a piece for piece recreation of Neil Prescott's outfit from the first movie, because he's not a character. He is mm-hmm. the Neil Prescott stand in. I love um, that. Which is great. Right. I love it. It's. It, I didn't even notice yeah. it until probably like years after the movie had come out. I was like, oh my God, he's he's Neil Prescott and he's Neil yeah. Prescott. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's almost like saying like, you know, just the generational gap too of like, they've gone through all of this and they know mm-hmm. who they are now. These kids are still figuring out exactly. who they are. So their fashion choices are going to be less or they're still in their experimental phase of like mm-hmm. figuring out what works and figuring out their own identity and their yeah. own character. And I think that's what they're trying to say too with like the technology of it is now there's this new element of like you're live streaming your life and you're up like you know you're uploading your life like how do you figure out your identity if the whole world is also right. watching yeah, absolutely your and I, I love the the idea of tropes in real life and i feel like this fun universe that is so meta is you know essentially we're again like the neil prescott um you know reproduction is a 
perfect example of like playing out, like trying on tropes in their mm-hmm. in their world that is real. Yeah. Just like in our world where I think we do this as well. We are trying on different identities. And, you know, I think that this is a great example of the way wardrobe can deliver more insight into the plot because exactly you know it, it is showcasing that that is the role that he is playing out in that moment and we know what that means but yeah I mean wardrobe can very much you know whether you're it's like a callback to a specific character or kind of a general silhouette that you know like the hot hot girl outfit or like we talked about like the LA girl outfit like things like that mm-hmm. that are very specific tropes can clue you in on on who these characters are and where they're at in their story. And I think that's what's really interesting. Um, and yeah, I like the idea that he's not really full-fledged yet. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they are, in this story, just playing a role um, as well. Um, and it's not really it's not really about them. The way that some of the shots are set up and how some of the characters kind of fill in the gaps for each other color wise um i think of that last scene where jill and sydney are laying on the floor and like we talked about in our last episode how you know cynthia looked towards works of art Mm -hmm. for inspiration i don't know if they did but it reminds me of the da vinci sistine chapel painting because they're like their hands are just touching and they're both in these cool tones and they're laying and they're looking at each other and it's very poetic that like she thinks you know that she's either killed her cousin so that she can now mm-hmm. have this fame but it is very like passing of the torch ish obviously we know sydney lives but it is this painting yeah. almost and the blood pooling around them it's yeah it's very poetic the way that they it's such that. a um a small detail that i don't know again i don't know if it's intentional to be reading into it is i love that jill is in this like stark white and deep blue plaid and it just makes me think of those are mm-hmm. the colors i picture in billy loomis but it's in like a Sydney like mm. silhouette, so it's like this idea that she's in yes. that white white shirt with the dark blue jeans, and um, but she's posing as Sydney, so it's like the feminine, like the demure right. final girl kind of outfit. And I've I've always loved mm-hmm. the psychology of Jill, and like once you see her as the killer, and you go back and watch the movie, you pick up on things very differently. And that's I mean, Scream as a whole does that, which is really fun. Is the second time is almost yeah. more fun than the first time because you get to see them actually working things out while it's happening the especially like my favorite thing is the olivia scene where you can see that like the scene with trevor beforehand she keeps telling him not to go to the window because she's afraid he'll see charlie in olivia's bedroom and then she like calls olivia when ghost is on the phone so she can keep olivia distracted so she doesn't hear charlie talking in the closet and it's it's so good it's uh i just i could talk forever on the role of jill roberts and how she is just the MVP. And like, I just, I feel so bad for Trevor, that whole movie, because you think he's the asshole. You think that like, oh, it's mm-hmm. going to be the boyfriend again. It's the twisted boyfriend and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's not. not. And she subverts it. And poor Trevor just gets like taped oh up gosh. and locked in a closet. And just, you know, he was just like, I it's just like loved just you. To go out with her. And like, it's so heartbreaking. I know. <laughs> it's so heartbreaking. Yeah. They, they did a really good job development wise with mm-hmm. each of the characters and subverting us and also like you know giving us who they are but who they're not and then creating new characters off of old tropes and having you know Hayden Panettiere Kirby be so beautiful and so like seductive but then be so knowledgeable yes. for horror movies and like getting all of the answers right that Casey Becker mm-hmm. didn't mm-hmm. get right 
Like that is, I love that yeah. so much. I love the idea of um, Robbie's outfit being a heavy echo of Jamie Kennedy, what he wore as Randy in the last scene of the first one, where he's in that lime yes. green with a blue kind of teal collaring. And then you look at Robbie is in the lime green shirt with the blue jacket on. And it's like, oh, you're, you're yeah. the Robbie. Unfortunately, you don't have the same end as Robbie or Ricky or sorry, Randy, <laughs> uh, Robbie and Randy. I mean, the names. Randy, yeah. um, mm -hmm. So it's like, it's, yeah. it's so, yeah. it's so good. And so like subconsciously put in your mind who they are supposed to be. I love it. I think it's so great. Mm -hmm. Well yeah. done. Yeah. And I like, I love that they use the, the, the film club because the, you know, the alternate Scream 3 script that you guys were talking about earlier, it sounds like we did get pieces mm -hmm. of that in this one obviously not to the same degree but we got pieces of that with the film club and then you know them wanting sydney to come and talk to the film club and gail's like but i'm right. here like don't you want to talk to me and like but it's not enough they want sydney to kind of put her on this pedestal to then be to dismantle yeah. that pedestal for her um and just the knowledge of film and i you know these films the, the idea of a meta film can get very exhausting when you watch like I'm, I'm glad that they let it breathe from the third one to this one and from the fourth one yeah. to the fifth one, because when you watch the same type of movie over and over again, and you know, each one you come up with a new point in the metaverse that they've created, but it's still hearkening back to that point of like, it's self-aware, it can get very exhausting. And I like that they were yeah. aware of that and didn't exhaust us through the process as an audience, you know, following these films. So I'm hoping that if, these guys want to do a sixth or a seventh one. I really hope that they've let it breathe. Like we don't get one like next year. Unfortunately, I don't think that's how fan culture works anymore, mm -hmm. but I really want it to breathe. <laughs> Especially because the, the fifth movie without any spoilers was very yeah. pointed in its message. Um, and very, yes, it, it was. the meta culture of it was, you know, I'm going to stop because I'm going to spoil something. So <laughs> um, <laughs> it just, I, I agree. I think yeah. I would like them to wait at least two years. Um, like my yes. my fanboy heart says, no, give it to me next year. But I think, I think just the time between will really help. Yeah, and then it could create even more things to discuss and mm -hmm. talk about and like put on for the for culturally too, because that's what these movies do. They don't just talk about, you know, that that fact that they know that oh horror movies exist. It's the fact that like, it, like a new nightmare. It's aware of like what the culture is saying at that given yeah, point yeah. in time. And you need a few years for more culture to develop so that you can then comment on that and like extrapolate that and analyze mm -hmm. it. And you know, all those other SAT <laughs> words, but like, you know, really, really break down what our culture is saying. And I, and that's what horror does so well. And that's what the genre as a whole does. So you do need time in between to, to really yeah. let mm -hmm. that flesh out. Absolutely. Um, Bradley, I have to ask, what would you say is one your favorite character from the franchise, and also okay. just your favorite costume in mm. general? It can be from Scream Five too, because I feel like that wouldn't be a total spoiler. I would say my, I mean, favorite costume in general will always be Tatum's outfit at the end of Scream, yes. but with the denim jacket. I love the denim jacket mm -hmm. with like the pseudo Peter Pan collar to it. It's so, um, cute. It's so, oh, cute. Yeah, it's so cute. I love that skirt. Um, is probably my favorite skirt in all of movie fashion other than Cher Horowitz's iconic plaid outfit um I love that mm. it's you know who Tatum is just by seeing it you feel her personality um and I think a lot of that's credit to Rose McGowan because she did push to kind of really define Tatum's wardrobe with the designer 
Um, and I just, I love it. I love that she wears those chunky white boots. I adore a white boot. A white boot is probably one of my favorite shoes. 100%. Um, I love it. My, I have a white pair of Doc Martens that are like my favorite shoes in the entire world. I love that because they are so hard to pair mm-hmm. with things. And if you have them and can rock them, it's like it is a it staple is. piece. Every time I wear them, I feel like I'm doing a promotional yeah. TV shoot for a, like a TV show. Um, <laughs> I love it. It's love my that. my favorite thing. Um, as far as like favorite character in the whole franchise, um, I mean, that's rough. There's a lot of really... I mean, just um, this franchise is full of <laughs> wonderful characters. So like everybody's so too. well done. I kind of want to say Casey Becker. Mm. I feel like mm. Casey Becker's opening um, is iconic. It is. It literally changed an entire genre of film in ten minutes. Uh, Drew Barrymore mm-hmm. set the tone for that movie, and I feel like there is so much about that character that you get just from like her wardrobe, her conversation. And then the posthumous information, knowing that she dated Stu and like knowing that she left him for another boy and she's really flirty and she was talking to him on the phone. Like I just, I, it's one of those things where like less is so much more mm-hmm. because there is so much about Casey Becker that you fill in with your mind and she can kind of be anything, but she is still a very specific character. And I love that. And I love, I read a tweet the other day. This is uh, semi-related when, um, they're talking about Casey Becker's parents say, go down to the McKenzie's and there's a character in the new one named Liv McKenzie. And he's like, Oh, I wonder if it's related. And I was like, um, in my mind, it is officially related. Like she is hundred yes. <laughs> percent officially related to the McKenzie's. Um, but yeah, I think I'm yeah. going to say Casey Becker. I'm going to say that um, she just, she, she changed shit. I guess that's the best way I can say it. Like um, I still, I would love to know the logic behind giving her that Michelle Pfeiffer Scarface wig. Um <laughs> Just I still don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, I I love Casey Becker. She's she's fantastic. Yeah. And I completely agree. I think that that is such a masterful sequence. It's such a strong opening yes. to a franchise that genuinely feels so relevant to, you know, the 2022 film. Like it it is through and through completely a set the tone for the entire franchise and you know, I personally don't mind when people do, um, I say people, what I mean is like the other screen films, um, when, yeah. the other, <laughs> when the other screen films do like a Casey Becker scene, I think it's fun and I'm not tired I love of it. it. It's, it's, they're not trying to, you know, when they do that, it's not to say we're just, you know, we have no new material. They know that we love that scene and it's fun to see it and it right. doesn't feel stale. Um, Mm-hmm. And because I think it's still, you know, when they do kind of play off of the Casey Becker sequence, they know, they know that that's the original. That's why they're they're referencing it. They're not trying yeah, to do right. a better one, you know? Yeah. Everything in these films is done with so much intention that it's never just a, we don't mm-hmm. have anything else to do. And yeah. it's it's such a hallmark of the series. Like you, mm-hmm. it's, it's like being upset that Nightmare on Elm Street like does a Nancy like dream. It's like, no, like yeah. it's, it's the <laughs> DNA of this the series and right. to a lesser extent the killer is the the phone call it's how you get in the movie and i think um the new one the fifth one like they understand the dna of the series and i think they did a beautiful job kind of interpreting that yeah. even K- um not casey uh kirby's scene kirby's phone call scene was in mm-hmm. the climax of the movie and it still it still did it it still got you but oh just i love it i love scream 4 yeah, me too. I'm I'm so glad that you love Scream 4. And I, I feel kind of the same way where it's like the original Scream feels like such a masterpiece. 
and is so mm-hmm. honed in and it knows itself. Um, but I do yeah. totally love Scream Four, and like I'm, pr- I feel like I'm pretty harsh on reboots. Like I'm, I'm pretty harsh on sequels and reboots, and you know. Uh, oh, I'm uh, yeah. You know, and I, and I felt the same way about um the new Scream, where I was like going into it not having a ton of expectations because I actually did not like the trailer and I was very skeptical of the new stream going into it. And I was like, Hmm, I don't know about this yet, but well, I, I guess knew. they're trying it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really loved yeah. this new one. I thought it, everything that needed to mm-hmm. be there was there. The homages were perfect. The self-awareness was perfect. The throwbacks were perfect. That like it, yeah. it just, right. Was exactly. A thing. And it was really, I was, worried because it wasn't Wes and I was like are they going to be able to yes are they going to be able to fit into this world because yeah. I as much as I love Radio Silence and I love I love their work Ready or Not is one of my favorite horror films um I was like but are mm-hmm. they are they going to be able to capture that scream feeling yeah can they do and it they do and I think they did I think right. they they modernized they the feeling and it yeah. is a little bit I say it's a lot more brutal but it mm-hmm. worked it yeah. really worked. Yeah, yes. I would agree. I think that, um, you know, and I, th- I think the reason that it was so easy for them to continue with such grace and and do this reboot um, with, again, what felt like so much intention was because, um, you know, its predecessors, these four Scream films uh, that came before were so keyed in, did know mm-hmm. itself so much. Again, that the fact that we can so very clearly see how the design has evolved um really gracefully honestly um it probably was easier for them to reference and study these films and understand the tone um and understand what they needed to do um with this reboot um just because everything felt so seamless and the fact that scream 4 is so different from the first three films but still feels like it makes sense as a fourth film it does um, yeah i think is really impressive and i do think that the new installment um, you know, without saying any spoilers, felt very in line with that. It, I think it did, in in the same vein of Scream 4 being this film like a decade later, um, which again, Scream 5, a decade later. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. It, it it's a hard task to pull off and do it well. Um, and I always want to give films that are doing that a little bit of leeway where it's like, okay, yes, it's a different time probably a different team. This one, definitely a different team for the new Scream. You know, it's yeah. also hard to follow. Like, Scream 4 was Wes Craven's last film, like, ever. Last right. Scream film and yeah. last film that he ever directed before his death. And I think that, you know, that alone is going to prompt someone doing this reboot to really, you know, you're you're holding this very delicate relic, I think, that, um, I don't know, I feel like they're, regardless i think of you know whether or not someone likes the new scream what comes through is that they cared yeah yeah it, yeah 100 percent. and emily gunshore was the costume designer for it and she is now doing the hollow the halloween reboot oh the, the, those three trilogies so i think she's coming from this world of of how to pay homage and how to um, service the fans and give us something new and I like that she was able to do that in this one as well like with the silhouettes mm-hmm. and the colors and the different cuts and stuff um, for our legacy characters and our you know our newer team so I I admire the work that she's doing I love I honestly the with the fifth one uh, it's not a spoiler because it's all over the trailers the the look <laughs> Sydney has yeah. in the finale of this movie 
Like Nev Campbell has always been gorgeous. Like there's, oh, yes. she's not yes. difficult to wardrobe. I, <laughs> her not. or Courtney, like she's stunning, but she looks like such like the Pokemon evolution of Sydney Prescott. <laughs> like she's got, she's the earth yes. tone, but leather jacket. She's got jeans, but everything looks refined. It looks mature, but it, it just, yeah. uh, and then the lob with a slight curl. I'm a hair person. So like hair design on characters is huge for me. Yeah. She just like, I got goosebumps in that scene uh, watching the trailer when she walks into the mocker house mm-hmm. and you're like, Oh my yeah. gosh, she, she has no time for this. She's yeah. over it. She's like, I played the final girl. I'm done. Yeah. Like I, and I love it. I yep. love it. Um, and just the yeah. overall wardrobe um, in the fifth movie, it really just to say it continues the trend. Of it all does. four movies before it. It really, mm-hmm. it really it does. does. A great it does. Job. And like you were saying earlier, Bradley, was that, you know, Gail and Sydney have sort of kind of adopted each other's wardrobe and they're now kind of co-mingling mm-hmm. and, and realizing that they're each other's resources and allies. And throughout four and five, you can see that in yeah. the wardrobe that they're u- utilizing the same color palette, the same type of pants and tops, and they are becoming not one in the sense of like the same person, but they're understanding that their strength comes mm-hmm. from each other and being there together. And I, yeah. exactly. And I, and so while it's still Gail and it's still, you know, business casual Gail and like, you know, um, grounded now mom, Sydney, I mean, that's not a huge spoiler. Like she's mm-hmm. a mom now, <laughs> but you know, like, or, you know, like kind of far away Sydney, it, it does, it yeah. works in that way. Yeah. They're still themselves and Absolutely. can still be together. And also just um, Sydney's yeah. outfit that you see in the trailer when she's going on that run. It just yeah. reminds me very much mm-hmm. of like Scream 2, like gray Calvin Klein energy pajamas. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. Well, she's still rocking the racer back. Like we were talking about Emma from the second one that we're like. And I would exactly like to believe that the racerback is queer coding. Whether or not the costume designers it. agree with me that um, uh, racerback is queer to me. Sydney is my queen. We're here for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you guys have I, any I would like totally be here for it. Do you guys have any final thoughts on, you know, just the Scream legacy in general and the direction that it's headed? Well Emma, I actually want to know yeah. who is your favorite character and your Ooh, favorite outfit from the good franchise. Question. Um this is so hard. I will say, I still think that my favorite outfit is actually the Gale sneaking around pleather pants, <laughs> um, butt jacket look uh, from Scream 3 because it is so funny and also just like, I feel like it's pretty unique. Like, it's a really funny outfit and I feel like I'd wear it just to be like funky and funny at yeah. the same time. Like, it's it's giving like the same energy that like people ironically wearing Crocs gives where you're like, this outfit doesn't make sense, but it's fashion kind of thing. Um, Yeah. I'm loving that. Mm -hmm. And I kind of want to cosplay that this year and find a way to get fake tiny bangs. You can do uh, like a clip and bang and then butcher a clip and bang. And I think I will nail it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I I love that costume. Then again, I, I mean, Gail's looks are like kind of my favorite throughout the series. Um, Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, you have the Scream 1 acid green uh, Versace suit, which is just phenomenal and influential and amazing. Um, I mentioned this in our last episode, but I feel like I should like Tatum's outfits more than I do, which is really funny. Like, because I love Rose McGowan, uh, like, at at least when I was growing up. 
I mean, modern day Rose McGowan politics aside, uh, Emma, (laughs) Emma, when I was a teen, was very much obsessed with 90s Rose McGowan, you know, job, jawbreaker, you know, doom generation, all of it, like literally anything. I'd be like, that's amazing. Um, And I think that Tatum is amazing and one of my favorite characters, but I don't. I don't know why I don't love the fashion from Tatum as much as I should. Although I will say like the, that skirt is so iconic and I love it just for how iconic it is. Um, totally mm-hmm. agree about the white boots. I love a white boot. But yeah, I, I would say that's my favorite costume. The Gale Scream 3 look. And then my favorite character. Ugh, it's so hard. I, I kind of want to say Dewey. He's just really sweet. But actually, I think I'm going to say Stu. I'm going to say Stu because Matthew Lillard is super fan. <laughs> Matthew Lillard. Um, and I want, yeah. that is that is the one character that I feel should absolutely come back. Um, mm-hmm. And I will, <laughs> you know, die on that hill. Um, but yeah, what, what about you, Jolene? That's, that is a really great question. I would love to know how you feel about favorite character, mm-hmm. favorite costume. Okay. Um, favorite costume. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with favorite character first while I'm still mulling over the favorite <laughs> costume. And mine is, it is Dewey. His entire journey throughout mm-hmm. the series. He's so he's just a nice heartfelt. Guy. He's so empathetic. <laughs> he really is. And I love David Arquette. Like, he's, he, I like weird mm-hmm. actors, but I love David Arquette. And just, just the fact that he's just been through mm-hmm. a lot in his own personal life, too. It, he really brings a lot of that into Dewey and his empathy and his love and his care for Sydney and even Gail, too. I mean, like, their relationship goes through a lot of ups mm-hmm. and downs, and he still loves her and he still cares about her. My favorite costume. I mean, oh gosh. Um, oh, that's so hard. Cause, oh my God. I, I think, all right, I'm going to go with just to make a damn choice. Um, Sydney's final costume in Scream, the mm. one, the, the original, denim and denim. you know, where she's got the black, the black classic. Yeah, yeah. The black on the, the, like the lavender periwinkle mm-hmm. top with the black jeans and the nice black boots. Cause it, it's like she's so innocent throughout the whole movie. And that's the first time where she's like, nope fucking taking the reins and I'm taking control of my life and here we go and that's what sets her on this like badass trajectory of like the crap jacket the top and then the pant look absolutely I feel like I've seen you specifically in that outfit (laughs) (laughs) probably Um, also reminded me how much I actually do really love um scream to Sydney's style um I really really like yes me two years ago would very much just be like I want to wear the clowniest outfits and you know wear like tatum's crazy skirts and gail's Mm -hmm. insane (laughs) blazers but lately i've been very much more drawn to like the amazing jackets that sydney has in scream 2 and scream 3 like the suede and then like the leather and like again that's all going for a hundred dollars on depop right now um but i really (laughs) do love a good like brown leather jacket or suede brown Mm -hmm. jacket um and they're I, also it's so good. beautifully tailored yeah absolutely beautifully yes. tailored. Just, it just looks really are. really good um mm-hmm. yeah i think because it, it looks it looks like yeah. you've yeah. cared enough but you're still comfortable you can still feel mm-hmm. relaxed but you there's a level of like dressed up to it without being quote-unquote dressed up i think that's probably why you've seen me in that because i love my earth tones i love being comfortable <laughs> 
but I also like to look like I've yeah. cared because I feel like as a costume designer, there's like an expectation of like, you should know how to dress well. And I'm like, ah, oh, but I yeah. dress people for a living. So I just want to like be functional. It's yeah. I've, I've right. definitely entered into my grandma easy pant era. Um, I love a comfortable oh, yeah. pant. I love an elastic waistband and yes. I um, <laughs> love to look at yeah. beautiful clothes in my closet <laughs> and um, not wear them. <laughs> Uh, but, um, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that, you know, when I think about the franchise in general and the attention to detail that all of these designers took, I mean, the, you know, it's worth yes. noting that, um, the, you know, especially once we got into, um, the after screen too, the ghost face costume remained pretty much the exact same it didn't take on as many you know like the gruesome foursome they all have you know all these little changes and details they have kind of more yeah. to work with this is just a mask and a cloak but the yeah. every designer that worked on this custom tailored the robe um to hang the way they wanted it to hang mm -hmm. um you know you can see ever so slight changes in like the tears on the bottom of the robe and you know, mm -hmm. a different, you know, black material each time, but it's, you know, it's mm -hmm. to, you know, work with the lighting of each film and um, yeah. just minute changes, um, even, you know, down to like, you know, we spoke on this more on the last episode, but how the mask changed ever so slightly, just, you know, mainly in the, you know, first iteration, just trying to get the rights to the actual mask. But, um, you know, just that attention to detail from the designers is seen in the tiniest of ways. Uh, and I think the ghost face costume in general is a great um, example of just how um, fine tuned every designer was on this. Um, you can tell that they really, really cared. Uh, and again, they took the time to tailor a lot of these things to look really great um, on all of the actors. Yeah. Uh, and you can tell um, that also the actors were really heavily involved um, a lot of the time, uh, especially our legacy characters in the creation of um you know or, or rather the new iterations of what their uh, characters wore throughout the franchise that's really great to see that's where you get to see that amazing collaboration that comes from uh listening to your actor's input then also um and your director's input and also yeah being able to put your own spin on it and put your kind of stamp on that um and you know each tiny detail that changes the evolution of these characters is that designer's stamp on the franchise. Um, and that's, you know, that's immortalized. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really cool. Um, and yeah, I, that I think is the best way to kind of describe my feelings about this franchise is that it's just really well done, really fine tuned. I'm really proud of all of these designers for um, the amazing work that they've done. Um, and I really couldn't think of a better franchise to uh, kind of do an elongated multi-episode uh, look at because I really you know wanted to give yeah uh, attention to these designers because I think that as far as a franchise goes this is maybe one of the most cohesive um, franchises as far as overall design um, and how it pairs well with yeah. uh, the it plot is. and the evolution of these characters yeah so thank you Cynthia thank you Kathleen thank you Abigail thank you Deborah and thank you Emily for creating these incredible yes. characters. Mm -hmm. Do you have any closing thoughts on the franchise, Bradley? Um, it's just like, it, it. to me, it feels so unique to have a franchise not only span this amount of time, but to be so consistent and to have, I mean, we all know it's crazy that the legacy cast has been in every movie mm -hmm. and it's so unique. And yes. it's, it, I just feel like every movie seems like 
is a perfect amalgamation of magic. Yeah. Of coming together and it's just special. Like, and I think that part of it is nostalgia for people who have been around with it for a while. But another part of it is it really is what just Wes and Kevin and everybody involved. They just made something very special and it shows up on screen and um, radio silence with this fifth one. Somehow they seem to capture the magic, Mm -hmm. um, at least in my opinion. And I, I just look forward to seeing where it goes. Um, Even if it goes off the rails and gets into (laughs) crazy stab movie territory, I will probably still stick around just because I kind of want to see that happen. I want to see a bad screen movie just to see if it's possible. I think, um, and other things it's, it's so unique to have a franchise that has the same killer every movie, but is also a different killer every movie. Mm -hmm. It's so it's, it's such a, a hard thing to tackle as a writer. So like the fact that they've done it five times and it's still, it's still good. Like it's, I, I just, I could gush about Scream forever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, I love that too. It, it, every person, it's kind of like, what are they hiding behind? Why are they hiding behind mm-hmm. this face? You know, there's right. a new reason yeah. that they are masking themselves, um, you know, from the world and they're masking their true identity um, for various reasons. Um, yeah, totally agree. I also could talk about Scream forever. And so we'll have to have you yeah. talk about Scream forever. <laughs> Please do. I would love to. Bradley, this has been seriously so fun. I couldn't think of a better guest to have for this episode. And I can't wait to spend all of my money at Scream Queen Shop. Um, Yes. Only wear them. That's all I'm going to wear. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So where can our listeners find Uh, you? You could find me on Twitter at Scream Queen Brad, I think. Um, I I rarely use my Twitter unless I'm talking about Power Rangers. So... um, (laughs) You can find me uh, on Instagram at scream.queen.shop. And then also, obviously, screenqueenshop.com. Yay. Amazing. We will seriously be purchasing everything from your shop and wearing it at every HorrorCon because we love you and we love your designs. And seriously, like, so fun. What a great concept for horror merch that, uh, you know, it's what we deserve, honestly. It is, yes. Yeah, more Final, Final Girls, Girls, more Barbie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of Barbie, there may or may not have a special Halloween treat going up that is a physical Scream, scream Queen shop doll. So, oh my gosh. Um, I I'm hoping by October, I say by October, I'm going to get the motivation to do it. So uh, <laughs> keep an eye out for Lori and Michael this Halloween. Oh my gosh. That is so exciting. Ooh, okay. I seriously can't wait for that. Um, and I would love to have a little yeah. physical version of those guys because I would I love it. I'm so yeah. excited. It's gonna be so fun. I also thought that you have Buffy. Yeah, I do. Um I uh, best, <laughs> la, or, uh last Valentine's Day I lost a buff uh, I launched a Buffy and Buffy and Angel collection. Um I love it. I'm a huge Buffy fan. I've loved Buffy since Me too. first season. <laughs> or, well uh, end of first season. <laughs> I caught it late. Um big Buffy fan. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you're, if you guys like Buffy, there's, uh, going to be probably some more Buffy stuff coming soon. Um, we've got some Buffy stuff up now, uh, and we've got some new Queens coming out, uh, hopefully within the next two or three weeks. My gosh. Yes. (gasps) Could you, um, just a little note in your suggestion box, maybe do some like justice for Cordelia stuff. Yes. I, I would totally do some Cordelia stuff from Angel. Just a little seed to plant. Just a little, just a little, just a little something. Just a little something, something. Well, yeah. we will definitely keep our eyes out for that. That is super exciting. And we encourage everyone listening to this to check out 
Bradley and Screen Queen Shop and find your new favorite t-shirts and soon to be physical yes. dolls coming soon. Come on. What, what? And wine glasses and totes. Oh and yeah, and you'll t-shirts. There's plenty of other stuff. <laughs> oh yes. You there is something yeah. for everyone. Uh well thank you so much, Bradley. This has been amazing. Thank you. Uh we've had so much fun talking about Scream. Uh, and we hope to continue the conversation. Definitely keep your eyes peeled for a future episode where we will do a more in-depth episode just on Scream 5 and potentially the Scream TV series as well from 2015. Um, talking a little bit further about just kind of where we're at now with Scream, where we see it going in the future. And we will be giving you all the spoilers from Scream 5, but we didn't want to spoil it right now because... In case you haven't seen it or you just want to get excited, um, you know, you can listen and, you know, hear our chats about Scream 3 and Scream 4. And you don't have to worry about the spoilers or getting a little accidental treat. Um, But we will be covering that shortly. Uh, But thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. We've seriously had such a great time and we hope you did too. Yes. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at to die for podcast. That's D-Y-E. And on Twitter at Die Podcast. And next time you go into your closet, remember that your pieces could also be to die for. Mm-hmm.